Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Future Proof Your Career. Today, we'll discuss how to best adopt a more agile mindset and set of practices to prepare ourselves for continued success in an ever-changing world, especially given that we're going to be living a much longer lifespan. What might our future look like and how do we best prepare? Our guest today is Diana Wu David. Diana is the author of Future Proof, Reinventing Work in the Age of Acceleration. Diana teaches in the Columbia Business School's Executive MBA and the Financial Times Non-Executive Director Diploma. She is a former Financial Times executive who now works with CEOs and board directors to enhance their leadership agility, influence, collaboration, and resilience. She began her career and leadership education as an assistant to Dr. Henry Kissinger. Welcome, Diana, and thank you so much for joining us from home, I believe, in Hong Kong. Thank you so much, Mary. It's fantastic to speak with you today. It's tonight, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Tonight for me and tonight for you. This morning for you. <laughs> Thank you for being here. It's a really important topic and it's fabulous to be able to explore it together. And who would have thought that we would be in these disruptive of times? And you may tell us that that's kind of indicative of I would have thought. <laughs> you wouldn't have. Okay. No, I would have thought. Maybe not this disruptive, but certainly a year ago, it was all about disruption and far greater than I ever would have guessed. You're right. It's very important that we try. We can't know the future, but we can try to think about what might be ahead. And of course, to the extent that we prepare ourselves, that's really, really important for a work and career journey. Can you give us some highlights of what the future might look like? What are some of the trends and the things we do know that we should talk about today? Well, I think the things that I discussed, which were the big trends of technological disruption, demographics with people in the older side of the workforce staying in the workforce and that sector growing. And then the younger side of the workforce, which is also there's sort of a barbell effect where you have the Gen X in the middle and then many more people staying in the workforce in the early years and later years. So demographics is a huge shift and of course among countries as well. And then globalization, which has changed the game in terms of how we look out at our careers and how our companies stay competitive. Now, all of those things were, I guess, pointed to a certain way of having careers that were more like tours of duty, where you might be there for a couple of years. They pointed to more flexibility and more work from home. They pointed to more mobility and teams across different locations. And ironically, 
we used to say the future of work is really the present. And now it really is. I mean, it's sort of the future of work was yesterday. <laughs> so I think that that what we're all experiencing is what a year and a half ago, I wrote my book about, I didn't think it would be so abrupt of a change. But I think certainly, on the plus side, we've all adapted quite a lot by necessity to what the future of work looks like. And now we have the opportunity to decide what we might like about it and take forward into the next years and what maybe we don't like and can prepare to mitigate those risks. I often see that when we look to the future, employees can recognize skill development they may need but then also pace it in a way that you go, ooh, that should probably be a bit faster. Do you know what I mean? How do you know? And then these events that maybe really accelerate it. So the timing is shortened. My view on that is that we don't have time. I come from a strategy background. So decades ago, we had the 10-year plan and we had time to think about where things were going. And for people's careers, I think that it's similar. You have that sense that I'll spend two years here and three years here. And I think that we have less of that luxury. So when you talk about pays and companies, yes, some of them had a crisis of one sort of another. Most of them that were prepared all had some kind of crisis, unless you happen to be one of the handful of companies that really benefited. But I think the idea that I talk about in Future Proof is the idea of experimenting and iterating. So rather than having that whole lineup of the 10 things we're going to do and taking too long to get there, it's more of a discovery-driven planning where you have assumptions and you're constantly testing them. And then really pivoting one way or another using that feedback, which is quite different than the linear way that, at least in my early years, we were expected to build our careers. Very much so. So let's jump back. As you said, you set the table for us. There's the technology side of the future, the demographics, and the globalization. Can we go through those a little bit and tell us a little bit about each? The one that gets the most press is technology. We've been talking about disruption since in the mid-90s. I started out as a management consultant focused on disruption for large companies who were all wondering, should we have a website? What is this website thing? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think that that's something that's been a long time in coming and has migrated from external technology or digital that we might bolt on to our core business to the transformation of businesses like Airbnb and Uber and the like. And so the business model technology shifts are huge. And now we're at the point where AI, machine learning, quantum, all of those things are having an impact both on the businesses we might do as well as the way we do business. So the current COVID is a great example of businesses that all of a sudden can or had to pivot to work from home and Zoom calls all the time and a lot of collaborative technology. And that's something that some companies have been doing for quite a long time, but that we never thought would be standard for a long, long time. 
So I think that we're just at the beginning of the transformations that will happen with 5G and AI and some of the technologies that right now are just in their infancy. Demographic shifts really in the workforce, the interesting thing, and that has probably changed the most since I wrote the book in the sense of unemployment. So the demographics were based on the fantastic book, The Hundred Year Life, the idea of a career that is very much up and down and where you don't have a learn through your 20s and then earn through your 50s and then retirement or and then the earn <laughs> eventually, but much more sort of cyclical where you can learn a bit and then apply it at work and then continue to learn. And you'll have far more transitions in between your many jobs and you'll work a lot longer. And so that's one aspect of the five generations in the workforce that we see right now. And then the other aspect is just the demographic trends globally in terms of some countries having an extraordinarily aging population, Japan, the US, et cetera, and pension deficits, and other countries where over half the population is young under 18 or 20. So those change the way your career can happen. It changes the way that a company approaches markets, et cetera. It changes the way that they consider the silver economy in places where aging is an issue. And it changes what they call the dependency ratio. So if all of a sudden there are, are young people and they have four parents to support, that's going to change the way we have to think about how we're going to get our work done and still take care of our families. And globalization. That one's not so popular anymore, <laughs> I guess. As somebody living in Hong Kong who's been here for 20 years, I do believe fundamentally that globalization is something that I recognized executives not giving enough credence to in terms of their own careers. So they were in the US or in the UK or working for multinationals, and they really didn't spend any time thinking outside of their home countries, in particular, if they were working in a headquarters. And I think that the ability to understand people across markets, across cultures, to not only work with them, but understand how to expand your product into new markets is something that kind of cultural fluency is going to become an ever greater demand. The current decoupling potential between US and China notwithstanding, I really do think that it's a global market right now. We're really at the beginning of what we're going to see on the tech transformation and some of its implications, 5G and beyond, that we're in a continuous learning career and we're going to be working a lot longer. I'd be curious, too, if you think we'll be doing different things in the tail with the gig economy and the options that that may bring, that our career can also look very different than how we started out and that the real necessity to be really culturally fluent and globally aware will continue and expand. What do you think about that point about what we might do in the length of our career? I think in days past, it would be, I started out in this functional area or this focus, and I might have pivoted here and there, but I stayed within a lane. I think that's changing a lot. 
Yeah, I do think that that's changing. And InnoSight predicts by 2037 that S&P 500 companies and those one rung below will have an ever decreasing lifespan. So it's easy to stay in your lane when your company will be there for longer than your career. But now we're in a position where the career you start with has massively transformed. And I have spent a lot of my life in media working for the Financial Times and just in the space of a decade saw that transform from a newspaper where our website was horrendously slow and could barely be downloaded in China when I gave a speech there over 10 years ago to now we have a Chinese website that has almost as many users as our English website. And it really has changed. So if you were really wedded to the idea of being somebody in production for newspapers, that wasn't going to (laughs) work for you. And in fact, one guy that I saw first at 2am in New Jersey at a print site, I recently saw doing the global mobility for the offices around the world because he took his skill set in terms of logistics and his attention to detail And he transferred it to helping expand the offices and make big moves and really impressed me by his ability to take what he had and adapt it. And will we be doing the same thing? No, I don't think so. I think the world's demanding a totally new set of applications, if not skills. I think that's brilliant. And I think you just hit it. It's that transferable core. So you can't just rely on that, but that core can allow you to pivot to many different geographies, industries, functions, all kinds of opportunities, but you have to keep building on the core as well. I think you need to know what the core is too, that idea that you really know what you love and you're good at, and then how you can apply that in many different ways. It may mean that, yeah, we do need to be much more open, open geographically, open to different kinds of companies and experiences that we may have narrowed in the past. Dana, what's then the call to us as individuals and leaders? What might we need to do to position ourselves for the most probable future? What must we think about and do? Well, I think that the only job security is the one that you make for yourself. So the call is to take ownership over your career. The opportunity is to craft meaningful work and in the context of a satisfying life. So really, like your comment about the core, know who you are, know what you stand for, understand the value, and be able to tell the story of how who you are and what you stand for and the value you bring can serve other people, people in your network, people around the world that might be interested in what you have to offer. I think that's the call, to really take ownership over crafting your work. What comes into play in the mindset that we need to have to future-proof our career or prepare for the future of work? Well, you definitely answered that when you said open. We need to be very open. (laughs) So adaptability I just finished an MBA course, and we talked about the four Qs. Of course, there's intelligence, and that's always been with us, although not always embraced. And there's the cultural quotient, there's the emotional quotient, and then there's the adaptability quotient. And with those four, 
I think that you can be quite prepared in terms of your mindset of adaptability and iteration and being open so that you do learn from all of the different things that you do and try. I love those. I really do. I think, yes, the IQ was always stressed from as far back as I can remember. And then EQ came about as we really need to expand our appreciation and our acumen in the softer skill sets of emotional intelligence. Do you think that the culture quotient and the adaptability quotient have had as much focus? I don't think that they've had as much focus. I don't think that they have always needed to, but there's a movement to having more respect for difference and more value placed on inclusion regardless of whether or not you think about it from country to country, which as somebody in Asia with usually covering 17 different markets, if not more, we have it almost easy. In Malaysia, you think, okay, that must be (laughs) what you have a little bit of an idea, probably a stereotype. And in the US, though, I think that the cultural quotient can mean different things. Being aware of the differences that people bring to the table, how to surface productive dissent and robust conversations, how to include differing points of view. I think that those are quite important. And adaptability, I would just let the last couple of months of COVID and working from home and frankly, changing the rules every other week in whatever country you're in speak for itself. I think if you were not adaptable, Either you are now, (laughs) not by choice, (laughs) or you're writing it because you've always been somebody who pushed yourself outside your comfort zone so that when these inevitable black swan events happen, you have the confidence to know that you can flex and shift and learn. So what about some of the behavioral sides, the behaviors we need to have in order to future-proof. You really talked about being self-aware, and I think that's really key, really knowing yourself. You've touched on your work identity or reinventing how you think of yourself and others think of you. What else might be involved? Being self-aware is such a big concept, and I just saw something from Marshall Goldsmith where he talked about reinvention, and I talk about it like it's something that I made up to a certain extent right now, or that we made up. And I saw something that he had put out in 2008, 12 years ago, about how important reinvention was. So it's not entirely new, but some of the behaviors, after I put out Future Proof the book, I started something called Future Proof the Course and gathered together people online to go through a journey of developing self-awareness and some of the behaviors necessary. And I do think of them as almost practices. So scanning the horizon as a practice, always thinking about what is ahead and what you're doing now and how it may see headwinds if you're not careful or not thinking ahead about what you're doing now. The practice of prioritizing values of reflection and really grounding yourself in what's important from the start. And then a bias towards action. That I think is something I found in the course that's not really in the book, which is about, we talk about 
taking small bets and trying things. But so many people find that difficult. The interesting thing about the course is we've developed a community of people, which I really feel like it is the future of work, to develop a group of people on a similar journey and a safe space where when they do take action, they can take it in a safe space with a group of peers before they go out into the wider world. Being able to develop a network like that for yourself is, I think, a behavior that people will need to have to not rely on your company to give that to you all the time, but start to have a network that you develop yourself to give you that feedback, to develop your own professional potential and personal potential. As a real collaboration, that mindset of we win together and we iterate together, we learn together and we support each other. I think that's really brilliant. Interestingly, there's a great example of that. I was speaking to a group of executives that are from Thailand, China, and Japan. And we were talking about developing feedback and being able to get feedback and give feedback well. And they said, oh, we don't do that. We'd like to have feedback, but nobody that works for us will give it to us. And we don't really want to give it to our boss. That's not really the culture. But now that we've talked to you, we realize it would be great for our own professional development to get some of that feedback. And so they decided to look for mentors or coaches that could help them and even formed a coaching circle that would allow them to get that feedback that they're not getting in their company. And a lot of people, regardless of what country they're in, are not necessarily getting that from their companies. So it's great that they've taken the initiative to go outside. And that's something that's quite new. What are your thoughts about having eggs in multiple baskets, as we mentioned, the side hustles, but not pigeonholing yourself so much that if things change, you're kind of caught out, which isn't easy to do, but to have a little bit of that eggs in multiple baskets. I think there's convergence and divergence. And what you end up with, with your side hustles, based on all the 100 people I interviewed, who often have a portfolio, is that they would have a number of eggs and multiple baskets. And there would be this time when they were juggling, and then it would become more apparent where that was all going to go or which one was going to be the one that was going to be most rewarding. But even if they've gone from, say, eight to four, it's still nice to have multiple. It's still nice to have the career plus the podcast or a number of different things that can be at least a third leg of the stool between your professional life and your personal life, and then maybe something that's a side hustle or a hobby or just something that continues to help you develop. I think you had said this, soft skills are the new career makers. Yes. So when you asked earlier what people will be doing, that was about demographics, but I spend a lot of time speaking to companies about the potential of humans in an AI-powered world. And what we will be doing are the things that are not rote, are not repetitive, do not entail crunching a lot of data because machines can do that better than us. And so it is about focusing on the things that are uniquely human, the ability to create a sense of belonging for people, 
the ability to bring people together, to understand and empathize, to communicate, to tell stories. Some people say AI is going to be able to do that better than us soon. But all of those things and really thinking about what is it that I do? If all those things, those atomized tasks in my job go away, what am I good for? What is it that I want to be doing? And so I think that that is why soft skills will be the new career makers because you can't compete with GPT-3, which is the latest AI to come out as of this podcast. And my own personal experience is we're all as humans, we can be resistant to change. <laughs> We'd love it if things would just kind of stay the way they are, especially the, the things we like. What are your thoughts about tips on how we can continue to adapt and be open to it. Because it's one thing to know what we might need to do and skills we need to learn and ways that we're talking about that could be ahead. But what about that real human part that's about resisting the change? I completely relate to that. And to your point about the side hustles, I have multiple things that I do. And some of them are, for instance, I've spent over a decade at Financial Times, and I launched their board director program, and I still teach there. And they went on a four or five months hiatus as they transitioned to digital. And I spent a lot of that time really investing in more digital marketing and in our online course for Future Proof. And I remember waking up one day and saying, I'm not sure what to call a side hustle when you have six of them and that's your main <laughs> hustle. But, <laughs> portfolio. <laughs> yeah, portfolio career. But I remember waking up and saying, I just really want to do that thing that I know I'm really good at that I just know how to do. It's everyone's nightmare to wake up in their corporate job and say, oh my God, I could do this with my eyes closed. And yet I realized that the balance was so great because I do have some things that I can just do. And I know I can do them. At this point, I can stand up in front of thousands of people and do a keynote. And I just know I can do that. And yet I haven't been speaking because that's not happening during COVID. So I've spent so much time doing things that are completely new and everything has to change and all of that stuff. So I would recommend actually balancing it as you think about what portfolio of things you might want to pursue. Because learning is one of my key values. I'd rather spend at least 50% on the new. But a lot of people will force themselves to do just a few things here and there. And I think that's fine as long as you're aware and pushing yourself just a bit. What are the stages of future proofing? Are there levels like early adapter and fast follower? Or are there stages? And then nirvana at the end. Yes. <laughs> Learner supreme, or are there stages? Oftentimes, the early stage, the early adopter would be the person who is just, they know things aren't quite right. They usually have a fairly successful career and they feel like they should just shut up and keep going on because a lot of people have it worse. But they just have that nagging feeling that if they keep going on this way, they may not be relevant forever and that they're not growing enough or that they haven't really checked in with what's important to them. Some people have already decided that they want to go forward and future-proof, and they know that they need to do it, and they 
have an idea of what that might look like, but they're not really sure how to go about it. Other people already have the idea of how to go about it, but are looking for a community of people who can give them feedback, who can really think about how best they can execute. So I'll give you an example on that side. I think the earlier ones are, people will listen to that and say, oh yeah, I get that. But the third example, for instance, is a woman that is in our Future Proof course now, Elaine Chung, who has been a CFO, very high level. She has been on boards. She's on the United Nations World Food Program Audit Committee in Rome. She just got nominated to the Global Board of the World Wildlife Fund in Switzerland, and she's based in Singapore. Now, she's incredibly successful, but she's thinking about, okay, what is my legacy going to be and what is my niche? I'm a CFO, and then what? (laughs) So she wants to focus on purpose, and her 10 weeks that she's been in the course, she's really been honing that message and getting feedback from other people who are very diverse, global, and ambitious like her, and can say, "Mm, that one is good. The purpose-led CFO sounds great. And the idea of interviewing people and the idea of like really measuring purpose for a corporate, those are the great ideas of the 10 that you've mentioned. I haven't named the stages because I think you just gave me the idea, but that would be one. And then for those who go onward, they really do start to develop their own brand and their own reputation in a way that allows them to be known and does actually mitigate the risks of volatility in your corporate job and also in your entrepreneurial job or your portfolio career. What are the main reasons someone doesn't future-proof themselves or their career? Because of fear. The biggest reason I see is if somebody has achieved a level of success and they feel like venturing beyond that or changing that is going to show everybody that they do have flaws. They weren't that great anyway. And so they'll be happy to plateau as whatever they've invested in because they don't want to look foolish. There are real practical reasons as well. All of it is a risk. Any change is a risk, but the financial risk is something that people often talk about that is real. It takes, if you're leaving to try something completely new, it's like the Clayton Christensen's disruption curve where you go down before you go back up to a higher level. But I would say, hands down, after speaking to so many people, it's fear. In the book, Brian Tang is COO of a huge bulge bracket investment firm. And for him to say, yeah, no, I've already done eight of the top 10 IPOs. I'm going to go start an association for capital markets ethics. Most people looked at that and said, oh my God, what are you thinking? (laughs) That's not conventional success, but it's much better now because the world has changed and he's on the leading edge. There is a quote in the book. And in fact, I have it on a huge slide behind me at an EdTech conference that I was speaking at. And it is, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Spot on. Diana, what might you personally do? Is there anything you're doing that is 
an example of how you're also living a way that is future-proofing yourself? I try to live that as a way to explore what's possible. So certainly every year I try to take on something new. So last year was the book and this year was the course and speaking. And I tend to do that just by nature. But the thing that I've learned to do more is when I'm nervous is to go back to why I'm doing it, who I am and what I stand for and the people that I want to serve. And that helps to ground me. And I also take a lot of time for reflection and celebrate the things that I'm doing every week. And part of launching this course has been great for that because we do have a prompt for everybody to say, what were your wins this week? It doesn't matter if it was getting out of bed or launching a website or whatever it was. Those are things that are really important to people to know that they're progressing, to know that other people are going, yeah, okay, keep going, rah, rah. That it's movement in a positive direction. What's that piece of career advice that has either stayed with you throughout your career or something that you might like to share? I'm not sure if it was career advice or life advice, but my brother and I interviewed my father in a StoryCorps booth in Grand Central Station 20 years ago. And we asked him way before either my brother or I was even married, what would be the advice you would give to your grandchildren? And he said, be an outsider, challenge the status quo to create a better world. And that has always stuck with me. It's unconventional. I didn't really understand what he meant at the time. But now that I'm older, I can see how hard it is to do that and also the value in it. Thank you for that. And thank you so much, Diana. I highly recommend your book as well, which we'll link in our show notes. You shared some really important highlights about the future and what we really need to think about and do to stay relevant, stay engaged, and the choices that we'll need to think about and hopefully make for continued career success. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Mary. Great to be here. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at Modern Career Pod. We'll include the sources noted in the episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Music